Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. This is episode 76. We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean. And I'm Lynette. And today we have a really wonderful episode. We're not going to talk too much right now because we just want to jump right into it. It's a bit of a longer interview. But today we are talking to Heather Rodriguez, and she is incredible. Yeah, one thing that uh, you'll see very apparent in her story as an adoptee is that reunification doesn't always look like what you think it will. Sometimes it has a really great um, outcome, and sometimes it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, and Heather was so fantastic to just really open up and share her experiences with us. She's an adoptee, and she's also an adoptive mom, and she's been a foster mother as well, and she is an incredible person. It was such a privilege to talk to her. Yeah, I think that the way she shares her story, the way that she's able to describe complex feelings is quite unique. And I think you'll benefit from her, from the way that she shares. Yeah, we absolutely did. It was such a powerful and meaningful discussion for us. So we hope you enjoy this discussion. And at the end, we'll share a few thoughts and talk a little bit more about the project we're going to be working on with Devony. Well, we are now on the podcast with Heather Rodriguez. Heather, thank you so much. We've been really excited to connect with you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Well, let's go ahead and just have you start by introducing yourself and help our listeners get to know you a little bit. Okay. Well, my name is Heather. Again, I currently live in Texas. I grew up as a military brat, so I've lived all over the country. Um, Settled in Maryland for the most amount of my time. I've been married to my husband for 20 years. We have three kiddos two biological and one adopted. Um, My girls are 15 and 10, and then our son is two. And he is our uh, little adopted friend. (laughs) So um, we're getting used to life with the toddler again. Um, We are, (laughs) yeah, it's a whole different ballgame, especially going back, you know, to the toddler life. That's been a lot. Um, And uh, I'm trying to think, we, I enjoy reading, crafting, you know, hanging out with friends. Um, and parenting takes up most of my time. I'm a homeschool mom, so that takes up a lot of my time as well. Wow. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. That is a lot. It is. All right. Well, do you want to tell us and our listeners about your adoption story? You have multiple connections to the adoption world. We would love to. Yes. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was born in 1979, and my story is a little bit different in that um, I was actually adopted in Germany, but I am an American born to an American, adopted by Americans on an Air Force base in Germany. But they used the Germans, the German social system. So technically, I was a German international adoption between two Americans. Really interesting. Wow. <laughs> so because of that, I didn't have a lot of the struggles that American adoptees have with non-identifying information. Uh, the German system was very, at the time, um, open to whatever the bio parents wanted to give. And so my quote unquote non-identifying information included my birth mom's full name and social security number. Wow. So, <laughs> yes, yeah. So um, I was able to um, find her fairly quickly, but I lived in Germany for 18 months after I was adopted. My adoption was not final for a year. So my parents had to get special permission to stay in Germany with the Air Force. And then we moved from Germany and I grew up um, one of two children, the oldest, both of us adopted. Um, my family was always very open that we were adopted. I was told when I was four and it was the same narrative that you hear, especially from people my age, um, that my parents couldn't have children, that someone else had a baby they couldn't take care of and that they chose me and took me home and I was special in love. Um, But growing up, I did not like talking about being adopted. Um, I would occasionally talk about it with my parents, but I learned really quickly that when you talked to adults or other children about being adopted that um, they asked really weird questions. I remember being asked by a teacher in the second grade if I called my parents mom and dad. 
um, I was adopted at three months old. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just stopped telling people I was adopted completely. Um, so much so that when I went away to college with a friend of mine, um, who had known me since second grade, I was talking about being adopted and she called me a liar to my face and I don't blame her because she'd known me for 20 years at that point almost and had no idea. Um, I'm not a transracial adoptee. I look just like my parents complexion wise. Um, and so no one had any reason to believe that I was adopted. Um, my parents were okay with not talking about it. They were very open, but at the same time, they're from that generation where maybe you don't have to talk about it a lot. You know, I was always told I could have my information. They would help me look if it ever came to that. But I could tell from a very young age that it was an uncomfortable conversation, especially for my mom. Mm -hmm. um, understandably, as a mom now, I get that. So I didn't even start thinking about what it meant to be adopted until I was in my early 20s. And what kicked it off for me was at the college I went to, we actually had a lady come who was a birth mother. And she talked about her experience as a birth mother. And embarrassingly enough, that was the very first time in my whole 19 years of life that I realized that my adoption impacted someone other than myself. Because as a kid, I believed that whole thing of, well, she couldn't take care of you. So she gave you up and everyone's perfectly okay with that. And listening to that birth mom talk, I realized, wait a minute, huh. this, <laughs> this involves somebody that is more than me. Because before that moment, I would have told you I was never searching because I thought I'm perfectly happy. I love my parents. I have fabulous parents, just amazing. And I thought, well, I don't have any need to search. And in that moment, I realized that I probably did. Um, if only to connect with her and tell her that she made a loving decision at that time. That was my thought process. Um, and so that is what kicked, kicked it off for me. I know some people don't like the term coming out of the fog, but for me, it has very much been coming out of a fog because it's been very gradual and it has changed. And that kicked me right into less fog. It was like, suddenly I was looking around and I could see things a lot more clearly. So that was at 19. And so at 19, I decided, you know what, I need to, I need to figure this out. I need to search. And so I went to my parents and I said, Hey, can I have everything that you have about my adoption? They were very gracious and kind. Um, and during that time I had met a German exchange student in high school who I kept in touch with and her family invited me out to Germany, which this is one of those things where, you know, I know there are people of all faiths listening, but sometimes you know that God is pushing you in a direction. And this was one of those times where God said, yep, walk right through this door, please. And so I did. I went to Germany. I spent three weeks there. Um, when I got to Germany, I called the number on my adoption paperwork, hoping to make an appointment with someone in the office who had handled my adoption 20 years prior. And my social worker answered the phone. Um, <laughs> like the social worker that was involved with your situation. Yes. Wow. Yes. And when she answered the phone with her name, I was shocked. I was just stunned. And I introduced myself and she spoke English because she handled the international section. And I introduced myself by my first and last name. And she said, oh, my goodness, Heather, how are your parents? And she named them. And I said, um, <laughs> they're fine. <laughs> she, I was her second adoption. And she remembered me because of that. So I went and spent three hours in her office and saw that my parents had been sending her pictures every year while I was in school. And um, I had no idea. None. None. <laughs> Come on, mom and dad. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Again, see, it's that whole we're open, but we're not talking about it. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Um, and so I spent a lot of time talking to her. She didn't have any new information for me, but it was still very grounding for me to talk to someone who had had contact with me in that part of my life, because that's sort of where my life started. The fuzzy part started. You know, she told me about my foster parents. I was in foster care for three months. Um, the German adoption system gives you 90 days to make or have a revocation. So she told me about my foster parents a little bit and about my time with them. Um, that was the only new information she had. Um, I left there knowing that I would find my birth mother. But I also knew that I was going to wait until I graduated college and I was, quote unquote, a real adult. Um because I wanted to be completely independent when I did it. Um, 
So fast forward, graduated college and got married. And my husband has been a very big encourager of me finding my birth family. Um, And he was like, you know, you need to do it. Just do it. And so one day I sat down to the computer. I put in my birth mom's information, her social security number and her name. And five minutes later, I had her addresses for the last 15 years, her full name, her phone number. So all that stuff you hear about it being expensive and hard for me, it was not. And this was 2002, 2004. So the internet was still kind of a baby. Yeah. We've come a long way since then too. Yeah. We sure have. Yeah. So there was no ancestry. There was no, you know, but I knew it was her because I had all of her um, matching information. So I took some time. I wrote her a six page letter. Um, I included everything I wanted to tell her in that letter because I didn't know what was on the other side of that. Um, and during this time, I know no one who's adopted and no one who's ever done this. So I was just kind of full lying by the seat of my pants, <laughs> <laughs> hoping and praying that I'm doing, you know, the right thing. So I wrote her a letter, included a bunch of pictures, um, told her about my life, told her that I was grateful that she gave me a shot at life, um, that all the things she had hoped for me were true and that I would love to know her, but that it was okay if she didn't want to have a relationship with me. Um, but that all I needed from her was a relationship. I didn't need any money or, you know, anything like that. It took her five months to write me back. So yeah, five months. What was that like? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, when I mailed my letter, I drove it to the post office and I put it in one of those mailboxes because I knew that if I put it in my mailbox, I would go get it 17 times out of the mailbox. (laughs) (laughs) Once I sent that letter off, it was almost like I had peace because I knew I had done what I wanted to do. And so for me, I was actually really okay. My husband, God bless him, ran to the mailbox for weeks every day. (laughs) And I felt so bad for him. I was like, honey, you've got to calm down. Like I've been dealing with this my whole life. You've just got to calm down. She may not answer me at all. And then one day I came home and um, my brand new puppy had gotten into my stack of mail. And so there were papers all over the place. And I was gathering up papers and I picked up pictures. And when I, there were pictures, when I picked up a picture, I flipped it over and I immediately knew that it was her. I had never seen her in my life, but it was the very first time I had looked into the face of somebody that looked like me. Wow. And I was like, oh, I've got to find the rest of these pages. <laughs> so I went all over and sorted through and got them all out. And she had written me a letter and um, I had shocked her because when my 18th, I was 24, when my 18th birthday passed and my 20th birthday passed and my 21st birthday passed, she kind of started thinking that maybe I was never going to find her. And so, um, I think it just took her some time. And so we wrote back and forth for about three months. We moved to email, we moved to phone calls. And about a year later, I flew out to meet her by myself. Now, what year is this? This is 2006. Okay. Yeah. So I met her for the first time in 2006. I spent um, about four days at her apartment. Um, There were some, you know, it's complicated because we look exactly alike. And so the first day I was there, we were at the grocery store checking out. And the check lady said, the sweet cashier said, are you guys having a fun mother-daughter day? And that poor cashier, because both of us, just froze and she didn't want to look at me and I looked at the cashier and I just said yeah we're having a nice day and it was like we could not it just got real quiet and I know that cashier is probably like what in the world did I just (laughs) 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 and then she had a checkup and eye checkup that we went to and when she was signing in the lady said you can come back we're ready for you but your daughter has to stay in the waiting room again super awkward (laughs) so there were some moments like that, but it was lovely, um, lovely. Reen and has been since. So, like I said, her family does not know I exist, but she's not super close with her family, so that's not an issue. She doesn't live near them. Um, she has talked to my husband on the phone. She has uh, 
she's involved, but she's never met my kids because I think she's never been in a space where the, where people know who she is in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, like she's my birth mom, but she's never been in a place where other people know she's a birth mom. And I think that's hard for her. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. How crazy. So so you've been in a reunion for well over a decade. Mm -hmm. Almost Uh, 20. Almost. Yeah. And what would you say your relationship looks like now? Um, we're actually, we probably talk weekly. Uh, we text often. Um, I'm a nurse by trade. And so, um, she's had some health difficulties recently. And so, uh, I have been helping her navigate that, um, which has been good for our relationship, but we have a very good relationship. Um, but it's very compartmentalized. It's me and her. And, um, she has a hard time feeling like she deserves being included in my life. And I've, we've been really working on that because I've told her what happened 43 years ago happened 43 years ago, but the door has opened back up and I have invited you in, which means that you are welcome here. Right. Yeah. But she has, I think it's, I think it boils down to feeling shame and I I cannot do anything but leave the door open for her and let her know that you don't have to feel that way. Um, so that's yeah. probably our only complication. Yeah, that's hard. It's really yeah. hard. So you shared that your husband was really supportive. Of yes. Journey and in fact, really encouraged it. Yeah. How about your parents? Um, mm. But what was that? What was that like? Well, um, God bless them. <laughs> I love them. Um, it was fine until I went to go see her in person. And that was very difficult for my mom, specifically my dad. Um, he's a very cerebral guy. He's very intelligent. He's very logical. And for him, it also wasn't a dad either. Right. I'm not going to see my birth dad. And so I know my mom had a hard time with it. She was very good about not telling me outright. Um, but she did end up having to have a conversation with my husband about it because he was telling her a little bit about like my trip. And she was like, yeah, I really don't want to hear about that. So when I came home, I had to have a conversation with her and I told her, listen, I cannot manage your feelings about this. I love you so much. I can't manage her feelings about this. I can only manage my reaction to this. So I'm going to tell you that I am wide open. If you want to know, I need you to ask. If you don't ask me, I'm going to assume you don't want to tell me because I'm a grown up and I don't want to feel like I'm sneaking around. And that's what I felt like. I felt like a teenager sneaking around in some illicit activity (laughs) 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 because I have such a close relationship with my parents and I talk to them about everything. And so keeping that from them felt very dishonest and very weird. Um, And so that's kind of how we've operated. It's kind of a if she wants to know, she'll ask. And otherwise, I, we just don't talk about it. It does sound like a lot of different adoptee experiences that I feel like I've heard where did you maybe feel that need to protect your adoptive parents' feelings? Absolutely. While you're going through this so hard. Yeah. yeah. I felt wildly disloyal because I felt like um, I was turning my back on almost everything that they had given me and done for me. Until I really sat with myself and I realized that my search for my biological family literally has nothing to do with them and everything to do with me. I'm not looking for new parents. I'm looking for myself. Yeah. And that made me feel better. And I, I did tell my mom that I'm not looking for a new set of parents. I'm looking for myself, for who I am, where I came from. Um, and so that, that's how I found peace in that because that was hard to do. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. So I love how you said, you know, you were trying to find yourself part of your identity. Maybe we can riff on that for just a second. How has the the reunification affected your sense of identity? So before I found my birth mom, before I talked to her and um, had a relationship with her, I would have told you that I was almost doing it just to check a square. 
right? That I was fine. And the minute that I, I saw a picture of her the first time and I, that biological mirroring that I did not know was a thing and I saw her, it was like something clicked that I didn't know was missing. And again, like I talked about coming out of the fog for me has been slow. That pushed me just that much further out of the fog. And I looked around and realized that there were parts of me that were missing. And it was almost like I was tethered to the ground more securely in that moment. Um, there were things about myself that made sense more so. I am who I am, regardless of who my parents are, biological or adoptive. But to be able to see where some of those things have root is very grounding for me. Um, and it's kind of fun to be able to be like, yeah, I'm like that because of this, you know? Yeah. So that has how that's helped me. That's a, that's amazing. So we already know, but our listeners don't. We want to hear more about also what the process was like for finding your biological father. Okay. Yes. So if you're down. Yeah. So um, there was no information for my biological father on any of my original documents, whereas I had all of her information. Um, she gave me non-identifying information about him, his race, his religion, his physical build, his job, his college education, but nothing, not his name, nothing. So when I met her, thankfully, she has been very kind. I didn't, I wasn't even going to ask her initially, and I didn't have to. In our third letter, she included everything she had about him, including picture she had of him. Oh. Uh, she told me the story. They were in a, a decently long relationship. He was divorced. Um, and they reunited one last time before she left to go to Germany. And I am a souvenir from that time. <laughs> so she did not tell him she was pregnant and she did not tell him that I was born. And so I grew up knowing that he did not know about me. Um, so when I met her, she encouraged me to find him. She told me he was a really nice guy that he would love to know about me, that she had in fact told him about me in the early eighties. Once everything was done, she showed me a letter that he wrote to her after their conversation about me. Um, and so I came home, I wasn't ready for that. It was too much. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and then she really encouraged me. So I sent a letter to an address that I thought may be his in 2008 and never heard anything back. And I let it lie completely. This last year, I went to visit her again. And she said, I really want you to find him. Like, I really want you to look one more time. And I said, okay, how about this? Can I do ancestry DNA and 23andMe? Knowing full well that I'm a secret on her side of the family. Um, and she said, yes, I don't care if it comes out. I just don't want to have to tell anybody. And I said, fair enough. I also am not going to go like reaching out to your fourth cousin, you know, <laughs> I, probably... <laughs> I would just like to know my, my ancestry and maybe I can find him that way. So that was November of 2022. I came home, ordered ancestry, actually ordered ancestry DNA in 23 and me before I left her home. Um, and came home, took those bad boys and sent them off. And the last day of 2022, I got, no, I'm sorry. The last week of 2022, I got ancestry back and I matched with who she said my bio father was brother as an uncle. And so I was like, okay, I never doubted her, but I was like, all right, game on. It gave me my ancestry, which is fascinating to me because I have always been very interested in English history and culture. I love England. I am like 60% English. <laughs> That's a pretty high percentage. <laughs> yes. And the rest of it is Scottish and Irish. And so I'm very much um, biologically tied to the things that have always interested me, which is fascinating to me. Um, and so then a couple of days later, 23 and me came back and I matched with my biological father and two of my half sisters that I had no idea existed. So that was a shock because I did not expect to match directly with him under any circumstances. Um, I knew I had one sister. I did not know I had three. I have three half sisters. So um, that is how I, I found him. 
I stayed open on 23andMe. I messaged him. You can tell how often somebody logs in on 23andMe. It'll tell you like in the, the last, last yeah. in the whatever, you know, and none of them had logged on in the last six months. And so I matched and I gave it a whole month because I thought, well, 23andMe will let them know that they have matches. They did not. So I did my adoptee thing and I stopped them on Facebook. <laughs> As we do. Found, yeah. <laughs> And my half sister who had her full name on 23andMe that matched her name on Facebook, I messaged her and I just said, Hey, uh, we matched on 23andMe. We have a high match common as ancestor with my biological dad's name. And I said, I'm working on some genealogy work. If you wouldn't mind messaging me, I would appreciate it. You can message me on 23andMe if you'd like, you know, I sent her a friend request so it would tip off that she had a message. I said, don't feel like you have to take my friend request. Um, so the next day I saw on 23andMe that she had logged on in the last day. And then all of a sudden, all of them had logged on in the last day. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> that morning she messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, would you be willing to take a Facebook call from me? And I said, sure. And so she got on Facebook and she, we got on messenger uh, audio and she said, the first question I need to ask you is, um, do you share 50% DNA with my father? And I said, I do. And she said, the next thing I need to tell you is that up until this morning, my sisters and I thought my parents had been faithfully married for 61 years. Um, yeah. Super fun. <laughs> yeah. That was exciting. Um, and that was not the information that I was working off of when I reached out to them. And so um, that is, in my opinion, an adoptee's worst fear. Um, it's terrible. I felt horrible. Um, I knew it wasn't my doing necessarily, but still, that was hard. Um, fast forward a week, um, her mom was aware that her dad had had an affair and they just had not told their children. So everybody calmed down at that moment. Um, and so now we are in the process of navigating a relationship. Um, it took about three weeks. My birth father called me and we had a conversation and I think that'll probably be our only conversation. Um, but it was fine. It was perfectly fine. Um, but I think for his own sanity, he's maintaining the party line that he had no idea existed, which that's his option and that's okay. I'm fine with that. Um, because again, I cannot control the things that go on around me. I can only control my part in what goes on around me. And I can't prove that he knew about me without, um, you know, dragging everyone into a really hot mess disaster. So, yeah. So that's that reunion. It's very different than my other one. <laughs> so. That's yeah. heavy. That's so hard. And yeah, you see me. I'm just like crying over here. Just <laughs> thinking about how challenging that must have been for you to be in the middle yeah. of that. Yeah, it was. And I wasn't ready for it. I'm going to be honest with you. I was not ready for that. I knew I might be a surprise. I didn't know I would be a shock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, to me, it kind of highlights this idea of just obviously telling the truth and being as transparent about situations as we can. And when you were, when you were working off of what you thought was the truth, um, you wouldn't have anticipated the response that, right. you got. um, and so as, as much transparency and truth that we can share, obviously while we're still respecting people's privacy, uh, man, that is a tricky balance. That's and so I'm so, hard. I'm so sorry that that was your experience. Yeah, it's, I mean, but I learned and grew and, you know, we're still moving forward. So, um, yeah. Well, I love what you said about, I can't control anyone else in this situation. I can only control myself. That's such a healthy and beautiful outlook, but do you have any advice for how people can maybe get to the point where they can really feel that or when it's hard, how to refocus and find that again? I think going into reunion, knowing what you're looking for, knowing your why and being honest about your why, because had I wanted a father figure from that and I wasn't being honest with myself, the amount of devastation that would have come from that would have been, I mean, unbearable. Right. And I think it is just telling yourself over and over again, 
I'm acting in good faith. I am being honest and truthful and I'm not asking for anything that is not something that I should have. Um, and just really believing that you are not responsible for other people's actions. I cannot help what went on 44 years ago and I cannot help what has been said about it since then. And I think one of the things that people from the baby scoop era and a little past that forget or didn't realize at the time is that we were adopted as babies, but we grow up. And here we are, <laughs> you know? And um, so I just think reminding yourself, having people that care about you around you to help you remember that when it's hard to remember, that has been really good for me. Um, I have several supportive friends and a wonderful husband who reminded me that I didn't, I didn't do this as much as sometimes it feels like I did. Because, man, it does not feel fun to be a skeleton that jumps out of a closet, <laughs> which is exactly what I was. But I didn't, I didn't do that, though. I didn't position myself there. Um, so, yeah. Wow. That's a great way to look at it. Thank you. That's, that's <laughs> a lot. And we have more, right? Like you have more connection to adoption. Right. <laughs> yeah. So let's let, let's transition now. And maybe, we'll, maybe some of the questions later will capitulate like everything together. But um, how you 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 said in your introduction, you have two biological daughters that are teenagers, yes. um, and now you have this two year old yes. um, that you and your husband adopted. Help mm -hmm. us understand how you got to the decision to adopt and what that situation has looked like for you. Okay, so I'll, I'll give you the condensed version. Um, I knew I wanted to adopt my whole life uh, just because I was adopted. And as I grew up, I realized that if I wanted to help children who were in need, the best way to do that was foster care. Um, and that was truly my heart and my husband's heart as well. When I met my husband, that was something we agreed on. And so um, we didn't get licensed until we came to Texas in 2014. Um, we had 10 kids in our home, often on different times, different situations. And reunification has always been our goal. And so uh, we got our little guy. His name is Ezekiel. We got Ezekiel when he was a month old and it did not work out for him to go home. Two and a half years, almost two and a half years of two years, really, of back and forth. Um, and it became clear that he needed to stay with us. And um, so that is how <laughs> we came to the adoption process was um, knowing that he needed to stay. We always said with foster care, reunification is our main goal. Um, but they can stay as long as they need to. And for Zeke, he needed to stay for the duration. And so that's really how we got there um, with the two-year-olds. Wonderful. Wow. So how do you feel like your adoption story has impacted the way you parent and the way that you see fostering? Um, the way that I parent for sure just, um, it was really important to me that I entered into parenthood intentionally. Um, and with forethought, because I didn't want to repeat the cycle that I was brought into. Um, and just sort of being thankful for my kids um, for adoption. I have been very um, adamant that Ezekiel has both all of his original paperwork, um, as well as connections to his biological family when it's safe and possible. And I have been very adamant about that from the beginning, as has my husband. And I think that comes from being adopted. I have said to my husband multiple times, I never want him to have to search for anyone. Whether he has a relationship with him or them or not, over time, I can't control. But I can control that he's never going to have to search for them. So tell us a little bit about what your relationship looks like with his biological parents, as much as you feel yeah. comfortable. Sure. Um, his biological mom at this point is choosing not to be involved. Um, she was only spotily involved during the process, even during foster care. Um, we, we keep the door open. I email her updates. Um, you know, she knows the door's open. We have a very good relationship with his bio dad. In fact, this last Saturday, we came home from a baby shower for his, I guess, cousin, um, I have a, a Facebook page that is just for his family and I post videos of him and pictures and updates and, um, thing, adventures that he goes on and things that he does so that they can follow that that way. Um, and we try to see them once a month right now. Uh, he has three full siblings that live with dad and two half siblings that live with mom. One of the half siblings spends a lot of time with dad though. And so we see them frequently. 
Um, they range in age from nine to three. And he would be at the bottom of the ones he sees. He has one younger half sibling. Okay. So we have a great relationship right now. So That's great. Yeah. I love that you're able to keep those connections with siblings too. And I yes. love the, the perspective that you shared too. Like I, I can only do what I can right now to try to foster those connections. And ultimately he'll be making some of the decisions at some point. Um, but to, to help him never have to search and to have as much information as he can uh, yes. to, to have those, you know, pieces to that puzzle. I think that's really valuable to him. Yeah. And I, I think it will be, and I hope so. Um, but as he gets older, he's going to have more say because it's about him. It's not about us or about them. It's yeah. about him at the end of the day. So. Love it. So what do you think about adoption education and like, the fostering education? Like how, as an adoptee who's going through this process of adopting your son, how has that impacted how you see adoption education and what do you want for it? Like, how can we fix things and make things better? Oof. Adoption education is a hot mess, in my opinion. It is lacking wildly in so many things. Um, you know, we had a two-hour class that we had to sit through that was very painful for me to sit through because it was a Zoom class and I, I just wanted to yell at the Zoom screen. <laughs> um, you Maybe know, you did I, while you were on mute. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, because um, I think that we need to include adoptees in adoption education. And I think it needs to be more real. You don't need to scare parents. But the thing is, raising an adopted child is not the same as raising a biological child. And that is okay. And I think we need to, that's okay. It doesn't mean you love your child any less. It just means that you're parenting to their particular needs. And that's all that means. Um, and so I wish that was, I wish we could center the adoptee in the education. You know, parents need to save people to talk to about their trauma and their issues because it's okay to have issues having an adopted child. It's okay to struggle with that. There's a loss there when you don't have a biological child. Um, but that safe person can't be that child. That child cannot be responsible for the management of your feelings, you being the adoptive parents, um, or my feelings as an adoptive parent around that. Uh, so yeah, I wish it was more adoptee centered education. I wish it was a little bit longer and I wish it was a little more realistic. Mm, great takeaways. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, so we, we have participated in several foster care classes in the last couple months. Um, and I think your sentiments echo a bit of our experience as well. Yeah. We're not as like informed as you with personal experiences, but I agree. Absolutely agree. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So with your experience, um, both as an adoptee and a foster parent and an adoptive parent, uh, <laughs> You have a lot of titles. It's awesome. <laughs> um, what would you um, suggest that prospective foster caretakers consider before getting licensed? Um, you need to talk to other foster parents, um, not agencies, not caseworkers. You need to talk to other foster parents. You need to know going in that you will have very little control and very little say. Um, if you're going into foster care as a way to build your family, that is both unreliable and unethical um, because the number one goal of foster care is family reunification. And those children, whenever possible, belong with their families, even if their family does not look as pretty or as put together as yours does. Um, and again, I'm not anti-adoption, clearly, okay? <laughs> clearly, I am not. But You've got to go in knowing that the main goal and what everyone is working towards is family reunification. If you are not working towards that, it is going to be heartbreaking for you because you're going to feel like the entire system is working against you. Yeah. If you want to build your family through foster care, there are children who are waiting. But if you want a shiny new newborn, this is not the way. <laughs> not the way. So you talked about how you've had a lot of foster children. <laughs> cared for and sent back to their first families yes how would you explain or describe that experience of loving and caring for these children and then helping them go back to their first family 
I'm not going to lie personally, it's heartbreaking. And there's, I'm not going to gloss over that or pretend like that doesn't exist because I feel like it doesn't do anyone any favors. But when you know that that's the goal, there's grace in that when it comes time. Because even though it is so heartbreaking, you have the sense that you have done a good thing and that you have done what you set out to do. And so even though that success feels a little bit tainted by your own heartbreak, you know that you have done really what every loving parent does. And that is what is best for the child that is in their care. Really at the end of the day, that's, that's the heart of parenting, right? We do what is best for our child or for the child that we love. And in foster care, when that is the best thing, you can know that you have done the best thing for them. Beautiful. Um, yeah. I have, I mean, there are, I can think of two in particular children that are out walking in the world right now that are teeny tiny little pieces of my heart that are out walking around. One in particular we got from the hospital and we had her for a year and she's still, if I saw her today, I don't think I could be reliably cool, calm and collected about it, but I am so glad she's with her, her aunt and uncle. So yeah. Wow. Beautiful. So maybe transitioning the thought then. So that was some advice for foster care people who are walk, walking into that. Um, what about those that are considering adoption? Um, not going through the foster care route, but uh, maybe a d- domestic infant adoption, or I guess in your case, international infant <laughs> adoption. But what yeah. what advice would you share with them or have them consider as they're making that decision? A couple of things I would have them consider that adoption and biological parenting are not the same. And that's okay. Like I said before. Second, they need to have people in their life that are safe people, whether it's a counselor or a pastor or friends that they can talk to about their feelings related to that as they grow up. Um, Third, just like any other parenting journey, it's not about you. Um, So you really need to put yourself to the side and help your kid navigate what it means to be adopted as they go through their life and as their life changes. And the last thing I would say is that... um, you can't, you can't, like I said before, you can't be the safe person. Your child cannot be the safe person for you and you cannot be the safe person for your child. Your child 100% needs someone in their life that is not connected to you that they can talk to about adoption because it does not matter how kind you are or how loving or how supportive you have been. You are that child's sole source of food and home and love and connection. And it can feel very scary to ask some of the questions that you need to ask as a child in that kind of imbalance of power. Um, as hard as that is to say, yeah. even my son going to need that because in his mind, I hold all the power, my husband and I do, right? So he needs someone he can go to and say on a bad day, hey, I wish my, my family could have gotten their crap together and got me back, right? Hard for me to hear, hard for his bio dad to hear, hard for everyone in his life to hear that's a parent, but he needs to be able to say that if that's what he feels like. Yeah. It's so important creating that safety. Yeah. And I love the idea of having our kids that, sorry, having our kids connected to another trusted adult um, where they can, they can share and connect. Actually, we had an experience this past weekend. We had a graduation party for, Lynette and yeah congratulations um and we had several birth birth family members from several of the kids over we, we always invite them to our big parties like that and yeah. one of our children was just struggling with this little trial and I tried to talk him through it and it was like in one year out the other but his biological grandma was there and she shared a similar uh, experience where she felt similar emotions Mm -hmm. and he was just like zoned in like laser to her. And I'm like, I just said the same thing, but, but just to see that connection, um, it was really beautiful and it, and it helped him. And yeah, it was just like a a testament to me of what you just said. So thank you for articulating that and helping me, me think about that a little bit more deeply too. What have you struggled with when it comes to adoption and what do you wish that other people understood? Um, I have struggled with 
Um, I'm a people-pleasing person by nature. I'm learning that that can often come from being adopted. Um, <laughs> I have struggled with the impact that some of the choices I need to make for myself will have on the people around me. And I don't say that. That sounds like a virtue signal almost, like, oh, I'm such a great person that, you know, I, I worry. That's not it. It's more of, as I dig down, it's more of a sense of personal safety. Will I be rejected by the people in my life if I make the choices that I need to make in order to answer the questions that I have? Um, and understanding kind of growing up the dynamics that were there um, and looking back and realizing that there are things in my life that have, have happened because I was adopted and I didn't realize. Growing up, all anybody ever said was, when you're adopted, you have abandonment issues. I never did. But I had people pleasing issues. And sure enough. So that's part of it. Um, I've struggled with the duality of it. Um, there's kind of that. For me, I almost have like a survivor's guilt kind of a situation. Because I was pulled out of a wildly dysfunctional situation into a lovely, secure, fabulous place. And you can look back at your bio family and sometimes wonder, why did I get thrown out of the way of the train? And what am I doing with that? Have I wasted that? Um, so there's that. Um, what do I wish people knew? The main thing I think I wish people knew is two things. One, um, like I said, biological or adopted children looking for their biological families are not looking for parental replacements. They're just looking for pieces of who they are. And the other thing is that adoption is a lifelong thing and it will change as you grow up and it will change as you age and it will change as you hit different surfaces and, and areas of your life. Um, and I wasn't really ready for that, you know, um, but having my first child really, uh, even though I was in reunion at that point, um, was very hard because I remember sitting in the hospital the day after she was born and looking at her and thinking, good heavens, you would have to kill me. You would have to physically kill me to take her from me. There's no way. And so it was that deepened understanding of what went on that hits you very hard. Um, and now adopting a kid and hoping that I'm making the right choices. So it really is lifelong. And that's, I think, a big deal. I am not adopted. I am an adoptee. It will carry me. It will be with me my whole life. Do you have any thoughts on supporting and helping biological parents with all of your experience as a foster parent and an adoptive mom as well as having a relationship with your own biological mother now? How can, especially adoptive parents, but how can the adoption community better support these parents? Um, I think just understanding their role, um, understanding that people make the best decisions they can with the information they have at the time. And I also think as adoptees, understanding that relinquishment and even secondary rejection often are not about us at all. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the circumstances surrounding real life people who are having to make really hard decisions. Um, I think providing birth parent counseling, um, allowing birth parents to talk and to really release themselves from the shame that they feel that's unnecessary um, and then in a foster care way, if you're in an open adoption, um, I think just seeing them as, as humans, as people, um, seeing yourselves as equals, not in a parenting way, because when you're a parent, the biological parents are not, you're not co-parenting with the biological parents, right? That's not what I'm saying, but you are equal. Like I am no better than my um, adopted son's biological family. I'm just different. And to see each other as humans and equals and meet each other on level ground, I think is a really good place to start. I think that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I remember once we were going to meet some expectant parents for the first time and we were really intimidated just thinking, <laughs> man, like how do we connect to this couple? Right. And Sean is just so wise and had this thought and he was like, you know, I just keep thinking we need to, just see them as equal to us, right? Like pretty much what you're saying, just, yeah, yeah it yeah. was a really great thought to help alleviate that anxiety and help us start that relationship off on a better. And, 
once the adoption has been finalized, I think acknowledging the imbalance of power is important too. Sometimes you just have to get it out on the table and say, listen, I know we hold all the cards here essentially. I get that, but I promise you are not here to weaponize any of that. Um, because that's, that's something I've had with my son's biological family that I find them walking on eggshells. And I finally had to sit them down and say, we did not commit to that. When we committed to him, we committed to you. Now we're primarily committed to him, but we're not here to pull the rug out. Yeah. You know, I love how you say that because it's so important and it's, it happens, I think in every relationship like this, where yes, if you're not holding all of those cards, you're not the one in power thing. You do see those family members walking on eggshells, just like you say, and feeling like they can't really ask, like, uh, I, I would like to see my child more, but what do I do? Right. Well, how do I, I say it's not mad? So yeah. 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 Oh man. I'm having so many thoughts. Yeah. So going back to, I think the situation I know you're right. That you're talking about. We've had a, a number of this, but, um, uh, <laughs> Just seeing people as people, I just, I, I, I like how you articulated that, but um, knowing that I'm not better than them in any way, we're just in different situations and yeah. I can love this person, even though we don't have a thing in common. No. And I, that's what I said to my son's biological father. I said, there is no world where you and I would have ever crossed paths yeah. outside of this situation, but that's okay because here we are. Yes. And yeah. then you're united by the shared love. We love this little child. boy. Yes. Beautiful. So you talked a little bit about some of the challenges facing adoption education. Mm -hmm. Maybe on the larger scale, what are some of the challenges that the adoption community faces today? And if you have any ideas for what we can do to improve that thing. I think, um, division inside of the adoption community is a big issue. It's such an emotionally charged problem. Um, I think if adoptees could meet each other in our shared space, which is that we were relinquished at some point and raised by people outside of our biological families, um, that would be a good place to start. Um, understanding that we have varied experiences and varied feelings about our experiences. And if we could all meet each other there, um, there'd be more open discourse. But for people like me who had a lovely adoption experience, um, I shouldn't have to feel like I'm angry or upset about being adopted or that adoption is all wrong. Just like the person who had a terrible experience shouldn't have to feel like there's no issues in adoption and let's just hold hands and sing Kumbaya about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, so holding space for each other, I think would be, would go a long way to allowing us to work together um, but it's such a deeply emotional place to be in that I think our hurt places come out when we talk to other adoptees because it's very hurtful. It can be you can get very defensive when you feel like another adoptee is invalidating your lived experience. Um, but that's not what they're doing. They're sharing their lived experience with you. And your experience is still valid and it's really okay. Um, so that's, I think, the biggest challenge. Yeah, this idea of, having a peaceful dis discussion, even when you have disagreements um, yes. is needed it in is. the community. And just because I'm, and I'm just, I think recapping what you said, but just because someone had an experience that is different than yours, doesn't mean that theirs was right or wrong. No, it's it just, just was. Different. And we, and we to, yeah, yeah. We have, we have to embrace that not one experience is going to match another. No. And that there, you need to personally heal. I think there needs to be some personal healing that gets done before you join an adoption discourse, because um, those places will come out real quickly. If you haven't dealt with them yourself, um, there's, I think a lot of key issues, three or four that adoptees can work on before they really get involved in adoption discourse that will help keep it more even. So, Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, Heather, you are so eloquent. No offense, honey, but I feel Thank like she does everything so well. You're like, I'm going to recap. I'm like, why? Yeah, <laughs> so <true>. well. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> well, I'm so excited. This has been an amazing discussion. I feel like I've learned so much from you. You say it all so well. Yeah. I'm so glad because I've never really told it all in one condensed sitting before. So. <laughs> yeah, I think our listeners are going to walk away um, really, really grateful for your willingness to share yeah, i am 
they won't know. But I've just been like crying. I know every seconds I look it. over and I'm like, are you all right? <laughs> no, it's true. That it has is. been a beautiful discussion. Thank, Thank you. Thanks. All right. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? No, just that I'm excited that I got to tell my story. I'm excited you guys are doing this platform and taking our time to do that. Thank you so much for being with us, Heather. We really appreciate you. Wow, right? That was such a good episode. Thank you so, so much, Heather, for chatting with us. We were so grateful to connect with Heather. We connected over Facebook and have just felt so blessed to be able to hear her thoughts and experiences. Yeah, particularly something that's standing out to me my, maybe my takeaway is just making sure that our adoptees have a safe place, like someone to talk to that's not us, that they can just own whatever they're feeling and, you know, talk through that with somebody else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also the need to be a safe place as well. I thought it was heartbreaking that she didn't feel like she could share everything when I hear that the thing I take away is am I helping my kids feel that psychological safety because I do want them to tell me everything and I need to be better at making sure to separate my own feelings from listening to their experiences and their emotions I want to be an additional safe place for them too yeah I appreciated how well she just spoke through the conversations that she had with her adoptive mother and others, you know, adoptees in these situations can't really control the reactions or emotions of adoptive parents or biological parents. Um, They just want to know the pieces. They want to know who they are. And that's important. Well, and so many of the adoptees we've spoken to do have this tendency, this desire to please their loved ones to help keep things smooth and not ruffle any feathers, right? And I I hope that we can be better at helping validate adoptees, helping them feel comfortable and confident, sharing their feelings without feeling like they're stepping on eggshells around us. I think that's really important. Yeah, and maybe one last takeaway that I'll mention is that if we're in the adoption triad or adoption constellation, There's lots of different stories and lots of different accounts and experiences that kind of go on in how we're all connected to one another. And from the reunification story that she shared with her biological father, my takeaway is make sure that we're just open and honest with the truth. I think it's important that we're honest as as much as we can be forthright about what happened, why things happened, the way they happened, um, so that people have the right pieces of the puzzle. True, I agree, but it's hard, right, when you don't have the right information or the accurate information. But I think that striving for more openness, open communication, and having these open adoption relationships where you can reach out and talk, I feel like that's creating a much safer foundation where we can just avoid some of those experiences that are so really hard tragic things. and hard. Yes, I, I was so emotional listening, just thinking about the immense challenge it would be to have these burdens on your shoulders when it's not your fault at all. And yeah, just so hard. Yeah. But Well, thanks again to Heather. She was wonderful She's to so be with. Incredible. I really just... I felt so uplifted by that conversation. It was beautiful. Yeah, me too. And and it was so hard, right? There were so many things in it that were wrenching and hard, but I still left feeling so optimistic. I don't know how she did that, right? Yeah. I don't know. But she's amazing. So thank you to Heather. And a little reminder, we are working with Devany Roberts from a previous episode. If you or someone you know is trying to find any family members if you have an adoptee in your life who's trying to find their biological family she would love to help we have an application on our website if you want to check that out it's at openadoptionproject.org and 
yeah, we would love to connect and she would love to help you out. And so check that out and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project.